Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and this month I'm re-releasing all the episodes I made for iHeartMovies on the original Star Wars trilogy, including the holiday special. These weren't Disney when they were made, but I guess they are now, so hopefully you'll enjoy these either way. Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome back to iHeartMovies. Today is an episode that has been a long time coming. Like I said in last week's Q&A episode with my friend Hannah, we've been talking off and on about covering Star Wars for ages, and today we're finally doing it, starting with Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Hannah and I both write for the Rotoscopers, and we used to write recaps for the Star Wars Rebels episodes when they aired. The last seasons of Rebels aired in like 2017, 2018, and around that time I was getting into YouTube, and by the end of the show I knew I was going to start a podcast at some point. I didn't know when I'd start a podcast, but since Hannah and I were already working on Star Wars content together, I threw out the idea of reviewing the movies at some point for this potential podcast. And she was game to do it, but then I just never got around to it. If you can't tell, my podcast is kind of all over the place, I have so many ideas that sometimes it takes a while to get around to everything. But this year I'm trying to keep my focus on just a few specific things, including science fiction, especially Star Wars. So here we are, probably at least four years after I originally floated the idea of doing a Star Wars series, talking about the movie that started it all, A New Hope, or as it was known when it originally premiered, just Star Wars. I guess let's talk about, like, personal history first. Mm -hmm. When did you first see Star Wars? Well... Um, I love, I love talking about how I first got into Star Wars because it's just really special to me. My dad came home one day with the Lego Star Wars game for the Wii because my brother and I, we love to play Wii together. And, uh, I was so, I was like, what Star Wars? And <laughs> it just all went from there. He just, my dad was like, oh, let me show you, you know? So he introduced me to Star Wars. He showed me, um, you know, and we started with the New Hope. And, you know, went that way. But that's really how I got into it. I was maybe, I guess I was in middle school at the time, maybe a little bit earlier. But that's just how I got into Star Wars. And I just, I just absolutely fell in love with it. I fell in love with the characters, um, the worlds, the storytelling. Um, I'm a writer, as I um, mentioned in the little Q&A portion that I enjoy writing. Um, so I'm always, it's my biggest goal to publish a novel. I'd love to write a novel and get that published. And so Star Wars has been a huge source of inspiration for me in terms of my storytelling. But, um, yeah, so it was my dad that introduced me. And so that's always been a really special thing that we have. And it's, I mean, it's definitely spread, you know, I have my, my brother, my teenage brother who enjoys it. And then I have a even younger brother who is, um, getting into it and he really, really enjoys it. He, he watched a little bit of the Mandalorian and uh, he absolutely loves the Mandalorian. So it's really cute to see him getting into it now too. And we dragged my mom into it. So we're all just, we all love Star Wars. We all watch the Mandalorian together currently. I mean, not currently because it's ended now, but whenever it's on, we, we watch the Mandalorian together. But yeah, so it just kind of started back in middle school, starting with that Wii game and me not knowing what Star Wars was. <laughs> so what was the first Star Wars movie that you saw then? We started with A New Hope. Um, and then, you know, went to five, six, and then back to one. Okay. So the Phantom Menace was out when you first started watching Star Wars? Yes. Everything was out except for, you know, the most recent sequels. Okay. So you started watching after Revenge of the Sith? Yes. Yeah. That had already been out. It was all, yeah, it was all out. Okay. Well, when I started watching Star Wars, 
it was after Phantom Menace. I believe that the Phantom Menace was the first one that I ever saw. So when, when I was young, I knew what Star Wars was, but my family was not allowed to watch a lot of things and Star Wars was on that list. Oh yeah. I did not see Star Wars until I was a teenager. I, I, either 13 or 14 probably because it was after phantom menace phantom menace came out in 99 i believe i think so and i turned 13 in 99 so i think it was like the next year but i think my parents started softening on it a bit because we had a family friend who loved star wars and i think maybe that helped convince them that it wasn't as evil as they thought it was (laughs) right Uh, but yeah, I I was always interested in Star Wars, but I knew it was one of these forbidden things, so I never really pursued it. Mm-hmm. But then my brother had a friend down the road, and the friend was into Star Wars, and he let us borrow The Phantom Menace and the original trilogy. That was after the special editions had come out, so he had a VHS of, of all four movies so far. And... I somehow convinced my mom to let us watch them and I've been hooked ever since. <laughs> yeah. Even, even Phantom cool. Menace. That I'm pretty sure that was the first one I ever saw. It was I I'm I'm fairly certain we started with that cuz I didn't have any negative feelings toward Jar Jar. <laughs> like that sights <laughs> is the worst thing in Star Wars. I'm like I didn't think he was that bad. I thought he was entertaining. I didn't hate Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, I can yeah. see don't like him now, but when I was right. just getting into it, he was fine. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. I didn't hate him either. And, you know, when I first watched it, and actually now that I think about it, um, when I did watch Phantom Menace, for whatever reason, I remember being back in, you know, our old house, and I loved to go to sleep to a movie, like have a movie on in the background as I went to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would always choose the Phantom Menace. So, you know, there's like scary Darth Maul, but I'm going to sleep to it <laughs> with it on my little like pit giant, like chunky princess TV that I had in my room. Um, yeah, that was like- I love that visual of a princess TV and Darth Maul is on it. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Was my nightly routine it was really funny and I also remember too back when I was first getting getting into Star Wars Blockbuster was still around because that's where we went to get rent the movies was Blockbuster okay totally forgot about that old yeah, Blockbuster it, it's kind of weird thinking back but yeah but when I got into it it was in the era of VHS I think it was on at the turning point but we watched it on VHS first and mm-hmm. then this when Attack of the Clones came out. That was one of the first movies that I went to the theater without my parents. Because we had one of our older cousins was living with my grandma at the time. And grandma lives next door, lived next door. Um, He was living with us on our farm for a couple years. And we went to a few movies together. But this is around the same time that we watched Star Wars was around the same time we actually started going to the theater. Because theater was another forbidden thing (laughs) when I was a kid. Right. And I think it was the same family friend who convinced my parents to take us to the theater. She was the same person who was really into Star Wars. So I'm, I'm thinking she might have been sort of influential there. I'm not sure. It's been a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was one of the first episode two, Attack of the Clones. That was one of the first movies that we actually went to the theater to see 
without my parents because my parents took us to the first few like it was a family thing that we went to see the different Disney and Pixar movies that were coming out and then I went to a few sci-fi movies with our cousin Chris. That's so cool. That's fun. Yeah, we my family's always made when the when the sequels came out, Force Awakens and so on. Um, I always organized it for my family. I was like, all right, I'm getting the tickets. Everyone's coming. Like we need to, you know, all be prepared. I've got the tickets. I've got the seats and we're all going. Even though my dad, even though my, my dad loves Star Wars, but he hates the movie theater. And he just, I, I don't know why, because I love movie theaters, but he he hates them. And I'm like, okay, I you got to suck it up for these, you know, what was it? For just those three movies, for this, these three premiere nights, you got to suck it up and we're all going, the whole family, to uh, to see Star Wars. Well, and also Rogue One and Solo, so I guess that's five. But um, yeah, it was, it's always a big, it, it was a big family event with going to see um, the premiere. I think I actually went to see The Last Jedi in uh, my Ray cosplay, actually. So that was fun. Mm. But yeah, it was always a big family thing. And now we all watch Mandalorian together as a family. That's fun. Yeah, my family, I think individually, my brothers all like Star Wars. It's mainly my youngest brother and I who kind of talk about it, though. So I don't know how much the others are really into it. But mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think my parents have ever watched them. I don't, even though they finally allowed us to watch them, I don't think they ever watched them themselves. They're they're kind of not into movies at all anyway. So it would be right. fun if it was a big family thing. But I have various family members outside of the main family who really like it. And we've gone to see the movies together. Like I, th- I probably saw every Star Wars movie in the last five years twice in the theater because I would go once myself because I was living in Ames when each of them premiered and then I would come home because it was always around Christmas and then I'd go again with whoever wanted to go in my family my cousins usually except right. for Rise of Skywalker nobody wanted to go see that <laughs> I think oh, the, no. I think the negative press got to them <laughs> so I went yeah. with them to that one and that one yeah. I only saw once, Aww. which is too bad. But I mean, whatever. They'll see. It. They'll. I, they still need to see it. They'll see it eventually. I think they'll realize it's not as bad as everyone said. <laughs> yeah, not. It's. I still really like it. It's. It's yeah. good. I like it. Okay. Well, let's get into the actual movie. I guess everyone probably knows this, but there's multiple versions of the original trilogy floating around. Have you seen them all or have you only seen like the updated ones? I'm trying to think. Um, I guess it's only been the updated ones. Like I know that there's, I I can't remember how big the differences are, but I know like in A New Hope, there's like, they have a version with where the the job of the hut looks different, I think is what it is. And I think is the Han and Greedo scene different. And then I know that they... Yeah, I know for sure, like the Return of the Jedi, that it was the somewhat updated version because they had Hayden Christensen there as Anakin Skywalker's Force Ghost instead of um, whoever it was before standing in as Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen the original originals, like Mm because there's not really a way to watch them unless you find an old VHS. And that's not what we had. Like I said, we did watch it on VHS from our neighbor but it was the new new at that time version i think updated in like 97 so that's the earliest version i've seen i believe the ones that i have now the blu-ray are 
even updated beyond that. Mm. So I've never actually seen the original 70s, 80s versions without the CGI, which I know some people would say is sacrilege. But <laughs> it's what I grew up on, so I, it doesn't bother me that much. I, it would be yeah. interesting to watch the original version someday, but that seems like that may not happen anytime soon with the way it's kind of being locked in the Disney vault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say they're probably pretty good about getting on top of things and getting rid of uh, the old outdated version, I guess, if that's how they feel about it. But yeah, yeah no, that's definitely interesting to think that there are like these kind of different versions with, I guess, some some minor changes. That's really interesting. Yeah, well, it was it was what George Lucas wanted, apparently, because he always felt like he didn't have the technology at the time. So he wanted to update things. And mm-hmm. he's the one who like made the decision, like the old versions need to go away. So I kind of think that now Disney owns them. Eventually, they probably will release them because that would make money. <laughs> so yeah. e- even though it was like George Lucas's decision to hide away the original versions, I kind of think Disney will eventually let them out. I, I don't know when or how long that might take, but I think eventually it probably will happen. Right. Yeah, I could definitely see them releasing it. One of the main things, and maybe you don't even know this, but like when this movie was released, it was just called Star Wars. I didn't know that until probably years after I actually watched it. When this was originally released, it was just called Star Wars and the New Hope Episode 4 thing was added later. It was probably added before episode five i'm not 100 percent sure but mm-hmm. it, it it was just called star wars when it was first released really yeah that's interesting well i wonder when the act i wonder like how long in advance people knew or like people who worked on it knew that this was going to be episode four because i swear i saw like a mark hamill interview or maybe it was when he was in disney world and i went to an interview show with him there that i think he said something about being confused about you know, that it said episode four, that he was like, are, are we missing something? So I wonder if that was, you know, after the fact, or if he, I can't remember if, or if he saw that on the script and, but they decided to change it, or if it was released like that, and then they added it later. I don't know. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know exactly the timeline for the title change, but I do know that it was always his intention to have this be like kind of the middle of a story. Like he had, he mm-hmm. had plans for the prequels and the sequels, even though the sequels are definitely not what he originally envisioned. He had pointed all the way back at the beginning that this was the middle of the story. So I don't know. It's, 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 it's changed so much since he originally started doing these that you kind of need like a history book if you want to figure out the timeline. Yeah. That's pretty amazing though, to have this whole universe and story planned out from the beginning like that. And I, I mean, I can't think of another film or, you know, um, series that has started in the middle like that. It's, it's definitely really cool. Yeah. The whole series is just really interesting the way things are thought out and just the fact that it's this giant world where there's so many stories happening simultaneously. It's just, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just makes your imagination run wild in way th- in ways that, other movies don't do i guess i don't that's that's i think that's why it's been such a long lasting series why why so many people love it exactly exactly 
Yeah, it definitely does let your imagination run wild. And that's why, as I said earlier, it's been a big inspiration to me in terms of writing and storytelling. And it, it's like my biggest dream to work on something story-wise for Star Wars, whether that's helping on, you know, a show of theirs or writing one of their novels. Because, you know, now, especially they're releasing a whole new uh, storyline, a whole new series of books taking place in like the High Republic, I think is what it's called. And so I'm just like, let me do that. <laughs> let me write for you. Because it really is, there's just so much room and potential and possibility for stories within this universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see what becomes of the High Republic because I know it's a book now, but I think they're planning a series, like a TV series for Disney Plus that will happen in that timeline. And I I'm just really interested in that. I need to get into more of the books. Like I remember reading some of the books when I was a kid, like the expanded universe. So I remember right. reading the one of the big ones. I think it was one of the ones with Thrawn. I remember the cover definitely more than the story itself. But I remember talking <laughs> about some of the obscure paperback books soon after we watched the movies. So even even back then, just watching the first ones that were available, I was like an instant fan, like an instant nerdy fan, trying to find all the books at the library and filling in the gaps of the story. Like I wanted more. Right, right. Yeah, I've read several of the um different Star Wars novels, um, like the more recent ones, like uh, Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. I read the Ahsoka novel. Um, and there were some like other ones, like a Darth Vader one. Not Yeah, Darth Vader one, Darth Maul one, and an Obi-Wan one that I remember I got in like a little set of three back in like middle school. Um, but I definitely think I wouldn't be surprised if they released something in the High Republic timeline to Disney Plus as a show. And because I think it would also just be a smart move for them and because, you know, I think it's amazing that they're taking this route of telling this amazing story through books and comics and literature, because I'm, I mean, I'm a big reader, so that's appealing to me, but not everyone's a reader. And, you know, people are going to be like, well, I don't have time to read that. So I think they know that they would probably be maybe a little more successful and make some more money if, if they released it as a show, like they've done with Mandalorian. But I do really like that they're making a, you know, an effort to create this other storyline and, little world in this new time period through books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of, I'm kind of in the middle there because growing up, I was a huge reader. Like I go to the library and I'd leave with like 15 books. Like I remember maxing out the amount of books that you could, you were allowed to check out because I was buying <laughs> so many at one time. And I have not been that in the past probably decade. And I wish I was because right. there's so many books that i I should read I know I would like I just I feel like I don't have time but I could make time if I wanted to and I really would like to make time for the Star Wars books especially the new High Republic series I would really like to get into those I'm really interested to see what's going to happen I want to know more about different eras of Star Wars because we're kind of only familiar with the Skywalker era but like right. they have so many more times that they've kind of built for like the ancient past and the near kind of ancient, but not as ancient past. This is the different. Right. I would really like to get into more of those. Yeah. I think people have been pushing a long time for show a show based on um, the old Republic video games and that time period. I think that could be really interesting. I haven't played any of the old Republic games, but I've, I've seen a few YouTube videos about them and just, you know, some of the characters and things like that. And I think that would be a really cool time period to touch on. I'm not sure if like High Republic, Old Republic, how close those two are. Um, 
I'm pretty sure like this, but... Republic, I think, is 100 years before the events of Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. And Old Republic, I think, is 1,000 years before the events of Phantom Menace. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool to go that far back. And I know there are a bunch of characters that people really like, like um, Darth Revan, um, you know, those characters. That would be really cool to see them brought to life in um, in a live-action way. And like I said, people have been pushing for it for a while. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I really would like is just more with Yoda. <laughs> like, I really like Yoda. And you can't, if you go further in the future, and I mean, now they have Grogu that they could use, mm-hmm. but like, I, I really like Yoda. So going backwards, seeing a younger Yoda in his prime, that would be really fun. Right, right. Yeah, I think there's, I think he's in the higher public stuff. There's like a, a slightly younger Yoda, but yeah, it would definitely be cool to get kind of more of his backstory and, you know. Mm-hmm he was a jedi knight or something like that yeah and if you go like further back to the old republic you might end up getting him as a kid that would be interesting too (laughs) yeah definitely the rise of yoda to like his you know position as pretty much the head of the jedi order that would be really cool i wonder if if they end up keeping on writing stories into the future if grogu will eventually be the next yoda like the wise old master that would be that would be interesting (laughs) That would be interesting to see. Yeah. See if it's a, a species thing, like if their species are just super, um, I guess, elite and adept to leading the Jedi. That mm-hmm. would that would be really cool. It would be really interesting just to learn more about his species in general, because we don't really know anything about what he is. We just have a few characters from that species. We don't even know what the name of his species is. Yeah, and I don't think we'll ever know. I don't think they're ever going to say what the species is. I think they like to keep, you know, kind of that little bit of secrecy and mystery around it. But Mm. it would be cool to get a few more tidbits of information. Yeah, I'm kind of torn because on the one hand, I would really love to know more about a species. But on the other hand, I do like that it's like this unknowable thing, like so obscure that even the most knowledgeable Jedi may not even know it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, let's get into the movie itself. So the movie opens with the now iconic opening crawl, the John Williams score. Mm -hmm. And this is, like I said during our discussion of the series as a whole, I never watched Star Wars as a kid, but I was very familiar with the music because for some reason, even though like the the movies were forbidden. We still had the music on CD because mom really liked John Williams and she had John Williams music on CD. So I was very familiar with the music from Star Wars, even though I never saw the movie. So the music is so iconic. Like everybody knows the music of Star Wars. And I I like that it kind of not, it hasn't completely transcended the movie, but like even people who don't watch Star Wars know star wars music like my mom yes yes it's definitely very recognizable and just you can't have the movie without the music it's just so iconic Mm -hmm. i love that they've given the movies this signature sound and they're even trying to do that with even though john williams hasn't done some of the spinoff stuff they still give it this quality to the music that is just instantly recognizable as star wars Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm sure a bunch of people can recognize, you know, the Mandalorian music, even if they might not watch it, just because it's already become so 
iconic and just so ingrained into like the Star Wars universe in the show. Mm -hmm. So after the opening credits, we get the scene of Leia's ship being pursued by Vader's ship. And I believe they're over Tatooine because that's where R2-D2 and C-3PO end up. But I really like the way they always open up the movie panning away from the credits and you get like a really cool visual of like a planet or a ship. It's just, I love, I love that so much. I really like the way they open this, all the films that way. Yeah, me too. That's something like really special about it and always really fun and not to go totally off the rail of talking about a new hope, but um, I just remember like when I saw the force awakens in theaters, um, cause that was the first star Wars movie that I saw in, in actual theaters because mm-hmm. everything else had been out already when I started watching star Wars. Um, but just to be in the theater and like the hype and the excitement and the crawl, and then it pans away mm-hmm. to, you know, space. And then, you know, Kylo Ren's ships come in and all that stuff a bit later on. And it's just, I love how they open like that. Yeah. It's just, it's so iconic. I love it. Mm-hmm. And then inside Leia's ship, you meet R2-D2 and C-3PO, who some people say that they're the actual stars of the series. And if you think about it, (laughs) they're kind of the only characters who are literally in all of the films. Like, it is the Skywalker saga, but you have, like, the father, son, and nephew. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, it's different characters, different actors, but R2-D2 and C-3PO, they're, they've been there since the beginning and they're in all the movies. Even if it's just like a bit part, you even get the same people playing them. So I really like them, even though they're not like the main characters. They kind of are the main characters. And I really like that about the series as a whole, that they kind of give this focus to these robots who maybe in another franchise would just kind of be relegated to the background. But they're kind of important to the whole entire story. Yeah, they are. They're They're like this beautiful, just kind of, thread through all the movies it's kind of like I don't know I guess like if you could put you know there's always maybe well not always but sometimes in movies there's that character that you can kind of pin as oh that's the audience you know like that's you can the audience can be that person and you know I feel like that you can kind of say that for C-3PO and R2-D2 because they're kind of going on this journey throughout the entire saga just like the audience is because you know they're always there um they're just kind of that constant thread Mm mm-hmm it's kind of interesting that there's kind of some discrepancy between the way they talk about events, the who they seem to know, who they don't know. And a lot of that can be explained with retconning, which is a, a kind of a big thing in the Star Wars universe. Like things maybe sort of contradict what's come before, but at the same time, they write it in such a way that you kind of forgive it because like, oh, it, it actually meant this. Like, right not to jump to a different movie, but like everybody was upset about the big twist in Rise of Skywalker because it mm-hmm. contradicted something that happened in The Last Jedi. But like from the beginning, <laughs> we have these things that contradict other movies. We forgave the Luke and Leia are now siblings <laughs> twist. <laughs> we can forgive yeah, them. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's kind of funny watching this for the first time in ages like i hadn't seen this movie in a long time i was kind of struck by different things that r2d2 and well c3po so that c3po was saying about them about who they knew and it really it contradicts a lot of things that have come before but 
I think they've kind of tried to explain that with like the droids getting memory wipes and other things that maybe their memory is corrupted or whatever. But like, I just thought that was a really interesting thing about their characters that, yeah, they're, they've been through the whole story, but how much do they remember? I think R2-D2 remembers more than C-3PO, but he doesn't <laughs> say anything that we can understand. So you, you never know. I don't know. It's one of the things that I find interesting about them as characters. Right, right. Yeah, that is, it is really, really interesting. You know, you wouldn't think that, you know, two little droids would be so important and intriguing, but they are. Mm-hmm. So then the ship is boarded by Vader and his troops. And there's the big rebels versus stormtrooper battle. And mm-hmm. maybe this is probably something explained in, I don't know, the, the other spinoff novels, books, whatever. But like, why don't the rebels have any sort of armor? Is it just that they don't have money for the armor? Because they're like <laughs> mowed down by the stormtroopers. And none of them are, they have weird helmets, some of them. But like, the stormtroopers are far more armed than they are. It's in terms of armor and whatnot. I just thought that was interesting. I'd never thought about that before until watching it this time. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if it was that they didn't have enough credits to get proper armor since I guess, you know, at the time the rebellion was just kind of underground and getting started up and they don't have, you know, all the resources and capabilities yet. But um, I just remember my mom made fun of the rebel helmets and how weird they looked. And she just thought that was so funny um, when we watch it. There was a lot of weird helmets in this that I didn't remember. And even in not just the rebels, there was some weird helmets happening with the empire too. (laughs) It was was one, it reminded me, and this is another thing I have not seen in literally years, like probably since before even watching Attack of the Clones, the, the cousin that we went to see Attack of the Clones with, watched uh space balls with us mm-hmm. and i remember in space balls they had absolutely ridiculous helmets i don't think i gave it a second thought when watching the original movie they're probably making fun of what they saw as ridiculous helmets in, in this movie and it, it never struck me as ridiculous as a kid but it struck me as ridiculous now as an adult watching them yeah, that's probably why they had such ridiculous helmets in Spaceballs. They just took it to the nth degree, <laughs> making fun of them. Right, right. Yeah, I think in terms of the Empire weird helmets, I think there were some on the Death Star, like the who operated the yeah. actual Death Star ray, and it was like this big, just all-encompassing black helmet. The only thing I can think of to compare it to is, um, I think his name is Black Manta from... Uh, the oh, recent Aquaman oh. movie. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what it looked like, just those big old black helmets that they wore. Yeah, except Black Manta has eyes, like red eyes. This was just... Yeah, like, yeah. They didn't have eyes. I think it was just like a little sliver in like a visor yeah. thing. It was odd. So then you get the iconic scene where we meet Princess Leia, sort of meet. She's kind of off in the distance. She's putting the plans into R2-D2 so that he can deliver them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how significant I thought that was first time I watched it, but watching it now, it's like, oh, Carrie Fisher. Yeah. I, I miss her, even though I never met her. She's just, she's such a huge part of Star Wars. And I don't know, the, the thing kind of hit different now that she's gone. Yeah, it does. I, I saw her once in person when I went to that, that convention that I was talking about when I was dressed as Ray. They had her as a um as a guest and uh I remember she was like running really late like coming straight from the airport 
because something happened with her plane and um, she came with her, her dog, you know, she takes her, she took her dog everywhere. Um, and he was there with her on the couch and his little tongue hanging off. And uh, she was just telling stories and yeah, it was really cool to, you know, get that chance to see her in person. Yeah. That would have been really cool. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen any of the characters in person, but of all the people that I wish I could have, it would have been her, like maybe Mark Hamill would be a close second, but I don't know. She always just struck me as such a real person. Like she was mm-hmm. so open about everything, her struggles. I don't know. She just seemed like such a great human being. I wish I could have met her. Yeah, definitely. She definitely was. So R2 has the plans and they jettison the escape pod. And I thought it was kind of funny. It was something that I, I probably saw recently. I don't know who, where I would have seen it, but I, I've seen people discuss the fact that the escape pod is spotted by somebody in the Empire. Like, they know that this escape pod has been jettisoned, but they ignore it because there's no signs of life. Right. But, like, this is a universe where droids are, like, a huge part of everyday life. <laughs> so it didn't even cross their minds that maybe there was a droid inside. <laughs> yeah i start. i started thinking that just as you were saying and i was like wait a second yeah no that i don't know why they wouldn't check for that i don't i don't know i mean i guess we've seen that the empire isn't always the most capable with that is true not being able to shoot straight and all of that but uh <laughs> yeah that's very interesting that they wouldn't have checked for that and then after they've escaped they're on tatooine wandering through the desert and I really like the way they talk to each other. It's just like, you can tell that they've known each other for a long time, but they just kind of bicker. <laughs> and I just think that's so funny that normally when you get a robot in a movie, they're always just like emotionless. But in Star Wars, the robots are like fully fleshed out characters and they have personalities to the point where they fight with each other. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like the way they're kind of just snipping back and forth at each other while they're wandering through the desert. Yeah. Even if they can't speak like R2, he still has a very distinct personality and you can, you know, almost still kind of hear what he's saying or like, you know, infer what he's saying. And mm-hmm. yeah, they definitely have a, a really great dynamic. Mm-hmm. They're a great little duo. And one notable thing in this scene is after they've separated they're fighting to the point where they're not even going to go together anymore like when they go their separate ways and yeah 3po passes this giant skeleton which i don't think is ever named in the movie but i remember being so fascinated with it as a kid Mm -hmm. and growing up and reading like the expanded universe and reading about all the creatures like back when starwars.com had like this huge data bank like uh, I, would, I would go, that was like one of my favorite places to go is read about all the different creatures in Star Wars, read about all the species. And probably from there, I learned that the skeleton was from something called a crate dragon. I was like, yeah. what, what is that? I want to know what that is. Mm-hmm. And we recently got to find out because it appeared in the Mandalorian. Yes. And I just love that. Finally got to know what a crate dragon looked like. It's not a skeleton. Yeah, yeah. I love that we got to see the crate dragon in, in the Mandalorian. That was super cool. That whole just moment of them fighting the crate dragon was awesome. And just all of the beasts in Star Wars are just yeah. super cool. I mean, I love the crate dragon. I love the the big rancors. Um, mm-hmm. 
I that's, just love it. And then even the little cute things like the uh, Lothcats um, yeah. and the Porgs. Yeah. There's so many great creatures in Star Wars. That's probably one of my favorite things about Star Wars and why it's one of my favorite series. Like, of course, characters too. But like, I love the creatures. That's another thing that just like triggers the imagination so much. It's like they have such a huge variety of creatures and every planet has different creatures and some have similar creatures and they have backstories for all these creatures like why this creature is on this planet but it came from this other planet so that's why it's on two planets and Mm -hmm. I, i love that they thought that stuff out and it just makes everything so much more fascinating to me that way right yeah it definitely is i love how just in depth star wars is there's always something new to learn it's just incredible it really is just its own universe that it feels so real it's really really amazing and really fascinating and even beyond the creatures like they're all the different species you know like I think that most people can recognize like a Twi'lek and a Togruta as something from Mm -hmm. the Star Wars universe I picked those two because those are my two favorite Um, (laughs) yeah (laughs) I love them so it's it's really cool and also just the fact to see that a lot of the um the creatures and the species are all makeup and you know like built physically that's always been super impressive to me and super cool yeah that's one thing that it kind of struck me watching it this time because they've done they've done a lot more in recent years of like going back to like the physical creatures like the animatronics and things that are actually there when they're filming but watching the quote-unquote new versions where they had inserted cgi creatures where it maybe didn't age quite as well as they would have liked. And those mm-hmm. kind of just stuck out like a sore thumb to me. I still like them, and I like that they added in things to give the movies more life, but it really does help when they have a physical creature there. And it's not just CGI, especially not CGI from 1997, because that hasn't aged as well as CGI from now will age. In right. But yeah, I love all the variety and even mm-hmm. if it's kind of not the greatest special effect i still like the creatures yeah it's still really really cool another thing that i really like the variety of is in the next scene when the droids are ambushed by jawas they're reunited and mm-hmm. you meet a whole bunch of other droids the star wars universe is full of all sorts of different droids that do all sorts of different things and i really love the variety and you see so many of them in here even the ones that people think are dumb like the gonk droid <laughs> i like it because it's just this dumb walking trash can and so right. it's just gonk <laughs> i like it it's, yeah. it's really, I, I don't know it's charming in a dumb way <laughs> yeah it is no i love the little gonk droids and like the little um on the imperial ships you have the little mouse droids yes like so tiny on their little wheels and they just kind of run around like it's just it's just cute do you ever watch the star wars show on star wars youtube channel i have not i need to they they do like interviews and some behind the scenes stuff they have a few droids that they've made as like side characters on the show and that one of them is a mouse droid and its name is cheese Oh, I love that. That's so cute. I think it might have even gotten a cameo in The Mandalorian. I, no I, way. I think they might have used it for a scene maybe in season one on the prison ship. I can't yeah. remember. But uh, Cheese, I really like the name Cheese for a mouse droid. That's so cute. I love that. 
Well, in, in here is one of these creatures that maybe hasn't aged quite as well because this is about the point where stormtroopers land on Tatooine because they've been sent to investigate the missing escape pod because I think for as dumb as maybe the Empire was, I think maybe Darth Vader was a little bit smarter and he sent some people to look to see what happened there and see if he could find the plans. I don't know that he thought it was droids, but he just figured that maybe Princess Leia had hidden plans in there. So then right. you have the scene where they're riding dewbacks, which are the big <laughs> dinosaur lizard things. Yeah. And I don't, I this is one where I wish I could see the original version because I don't think that they were in the original version. Like I've never seen it, but I've seen some side-by-side comparisons. Like this is the old version. This is the new version. And I feel like this is something they've either changed or added in the new version to put the stormtroopers on these dewbacks mm-hmm. because you can tell watching this scene that the dewbacks are CGI. Yeah. They're, they're not the greatest. I still like them because I like the creatures, but they're not the greatest example of CGI. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they definitely they definitely stick out. You can tell right away. I mean, yeah, I still love them, and they're a cool design and a cool creature. But yeah, you can definitely definitely tell. I think there's another really big creature that was CGI when you're like when they're going into uh, yeah. when Luke and Obi Wan are going into Mos Eisley. I don't know what it's called, but it's just a big thing with a big old long neck. Looks like a <laughs> looks like a dinosaur as well um and i think that one was cgi too and yeah they they definitely stick out a bit (laughs) yeah i know which one you're talking about yeah that that one that one sticks up more than the dewbacks even i i like the design of that but yeah it does it sticks out yeah i guess we just have to uh, i forgive it because you know of the cool design and all but (laughs) it definitely sticks out i i forgive a lot with star wars (laughs) (laughs) So after this, we get the Jawa stopping at a farm to sell some droids. And this is where you meet Luke Skywalker and his aunt and uncle, Uncle Mm -hmm. Owen and Aunt Beru. This whole scene is like really iconic. They have a whole bunch of lines that are endlessly (laughs) quoted. The thing that kind of stuck out to me watching this, though, is how easily R2 and 3PO just, well, maybe more 3PO than R2, they just accepted <laughs> that they were being purchased. <laughs> they, just, right, right. they just, yeah, I, well, they bought us, so we're theirs now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they just went with it. I'm sure they were just happy to get out of uh, the Jawa's hands. But yeah, they were just pretty cool. Yes, C3, C-3PO especially, he was quick to, you know, call him Master Luke and kind of just tell him whatever he wanted to know. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, R2, he he had his own plans. Like, he still was on his mission. But, like, C-3PO especially is like, well, they own us now. Right, yeah. I guess that's just his polite protocol programming to just, you know, accept, you know, who you're the who purchased you and is your master and just politely tell them whatever they, you know, are asking about. Mm-hmm. So then you have Luke trying to clean the droids up and accidentally finding the message. And I don't remember if you heard at the beginning or not, but this is where you first hear the name Obi-Wan Kenobi. And C-3PO doesn't know who he is. He doesn't even seem to know who Leia is, which I thought was weird because he mentions the princess at the beginning. So I'm wondering, who did he, he say? He said a name of somebody who owned him. I can't think of it right now, but like. Was it um, Antilles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So he knew her father for sure, because her father is the one who took him in at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Mm -hmm. But of course, at the time when this movie came out, Revenge of the Sith, that wasn't a thing. Right. So I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting that he doesn't know who Leia is. And I just, I don't know what the thinking there was because he was on her ship. He knew who the princess was. I don't know. That just stuck out to me as something of interest, like something that can't easily be explained by retconning. I'm sure they have an easy explanation that I just don't know because I haven't (laughs) read all of the expanded universe stuff. But that just really stuck out to me that he didn't know who she was. Yeah, that is interesting. I guess maybe it's, maybe it's one of those cases of like knowing of her, but not knowing her. I'm not sure. Yeah, it, it, that probably is it. But yeah, I, I know that at the end of Revenge of the Sith, he took C-3PO and then he said something about having his mind wiped or something. And that was supposed to be the explanation for why he didn't remember any of the events of the prequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that is, that is. Then you have the dinner scene where they're talking about his past and Obi-Wan and his uncle says that he calls him like a crazy old man and he he mentions a wizard. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, like, of course, the force is a thing in it sort of seems like magic. And I'm wondering how prevalent knowledge of the force is with like random people. And if he's calling him a wizard, does that mean that he's seen people use the force and he thinks it's magic? I don't know. That was another thing that I just thought was interesting that he called him a wizard. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think we've seen with like the Mandalorian that not everybody knows what the force is. Because I think, you know, the Mandalorian, he didn't know what the heck it was. (laughs) You know, he didn't really know what the force was or really what Jedi were either. But I don't know. I think in the case of the uncle, it's... I mean, he knew who Obi-Wan was, obviously, and that he was a Jedi and, you know, that Anakin was a Jedi and all that stuff. So I think he knew full well, like, what Jedi were and what the Force was, but he just kind of wanted to dismiss it in front of Luke, you know, didn't want to get him intrigued or wanting to seek out Obi-Wan, seek out Ben or anything. So I think he just kind of dismissed it by saying, oh, he's a, you know, crazy old wizard, you know, just trying to dismiss him a bit. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is another scene where you have some information that kind of conflicts with what we learn in later movies. I think this is one of the things that they hadn't quite figured out, like who, like what the relationship between Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker was going to be, because he he talks about his father dying. And he says that Obi-Wan died at the same time as his father. So I think at this point, at least in George Lucas's mind, I don't think Darth Vader was going to be Luke's father. I think that was something that was decided while they were writing the second movie. Mm. And I just I thought that was kind of interesting. The, the discrepancies between what they thought when they were writing this and when this came out and what we know now watching all of the other movies. Right. Yeah, that is interesting. And this is also the scene where you get the blue milk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the classic blue milk. Yes. I've had it at Disney World and it was it was really good. I want to try that. I have, for this past Christmas, I was given the Star Wars cookbook. <laughs> so, oh, cool. And it has blue milk in it. So one of these days, I'm going to try making some. Oh, interesting. I'm wondering if it's the same as um, what it is at Disney World. Because at Disney World, it's like a, it's like a slushy, basically. 
Um, it's kind of got that like slushy texture and it's fruity, but it's really good. I don't remember. I'd have to look at the recipes. I know a bunch of the recipes are things that they serve at the new Star Wars attraction. The, oh, okay. what is it called? Batu. Galaxy's Edge area. Yeah, Batu, yeah. Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, it's, the, it's a bunch of recipes. I don't think it's completely that, but a bunch of similar recipes to what they serve there. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's cool. So then you have Luke talking about he wants to go to the Academy and his uncle wants him to stay one more season and Luke is upset. And then you get the scene of him just leaving, going outside and looking at the binary sunset. And even though that's not a scene where like anything of note happens, I just really like that visual of him watching the twin sunset. Just Yeah, that's such an iconic scene and the music there. It's just, it was really, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. So then he goes back inside to finish cleaning the droids and he finds that R2 has left and he decides that he's going to wait until morning to look for him because of the sand people, which Mm -hmm. they're another one of those iconic Star Wars, not creatures, but like species, sentient beings. So the next day they actually go out and they are attacked by sand people as he was afraid of. This is where you see what they look like and you see them riding their banthas, which are another really iconic Star Wars creature that I really like. Especially knowing, at least for the original trilogy, I don't know what they do nowadays, but back then they actually had them on set. It was an elephant playing this creature. Like they dressed the elephant up. Really? The Banthas. Yes. That's, I've, I've always thought that was so cool that they actually had an elephant or more than one on set wearing this big costume playing the Right, Banthas. right. That's really interesting. I mean, I knew that it was something real that was there, like that it wasn't CGI, but I don't know. I guess I thought that it was some kind of build, you know, like some kind of mm-hmm. like a giant, giant puppet, like kind of like that you would get under and, you know, somehow move but that's really cool i didn't know that it was an elephant that they dressed up yeah i I just always thought that was really such a cool little detail that they would use an elephant and i know that's probably controversial these days like animal exploitation or whatever but to me it was like really creative as something that they could do back then to dress up the elephant in this costume yeah so luke is attacked by the same people he's knocked out and then you hear this unearthly scream which is apparently obi-wan or Mm. as luke knows him old ben and this is another thing that i've heard has changed over the years like the sound because like in the the expanded universe stuff it says that the scream is supposed to be mimicking what a crate dragon sounds like i don't that's what it sounds like in the mandalorian but that's what they were going for and it's one i think they've changed the sound effect at least once, if not two or three times in the various versions that they've released. It would kind of be interesting to see, like have it, have all of them lined up and see what all those sounds were. I'm sure that probably exists somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that would be really interesting. No, that's what I've heard too, is that it's supposed to be the crate Dragon, which I guess makes sense after we saw in The Mandalorian how they were, you know, afraid of the crate Dragon and the, and the crate Dragon was the big predator for yeah. them. But yeah, that's what, that's what I heard, that it was supposed to be a crate Dragon. Mm-hmm. So they're rescued by Obi-Wan, but he doesn't remember owning a droid. (laughs) And I don't know if, like, again, this is something that 
the the prequels did not exist when they wrote this, so that's why he doesn't remember owning a droid. But in the prequels, now we've got to kind of retrofit them into the story. He's the owner of R2-D2. Like, R2-D2 is by his side through the entire prequel trilogy. So mm-hmm. how do they explain that nowadays? I don't know. I need... I'd, it would be interesting to see what their explanation nowadays is for why he said that. Was he lying? I don't know. Because <laughs> he seemed very sincere when he said that he didn't remember owning a droid. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I if I had to say he was probably lying, he was probably trying to, you know, not get involved back into the, you know, the Jedi stuff and fighting the Empire and all of that. Um, or, you know, not wanting to drag Luke into things. But I don't know, but at the same time, I feel like he was quick to reveal that he, you know, like Obi-Wan and quick to kind of give a little bit about his backstory. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things that I just have to forgive these days. Like they wrote this before they wrote the prequel. So this discrepancies that it just exists and you got to go with it. Right, right. Then you get some more discrepancies because they all go back to Obi-Wan's house and he tells him about his father and some of it is not discrepancies like best star pilot in the galaxy, which you saw that in the prequels talking about their past together as Jedi Knights fighting the Clone Wars. But then they talk about Luke about his father being murdered by Darth Vader, which I think at the time they wrote this, that was the plan. Like Vader was this guy that was, with them but he turned on them and killed luke's father it was before they decided that no he's actually going to be his father that's going to be the big twist so mm-hmm. it's one of those interesting discrepancies that you kind of have to go with at the time and just accept their explanation later on like it was true from a certain point of view which is now kind of yeah. an iconic line <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely yeah from a certain point of view and you know a metaphor, if you will, of yeah. Vader kind of killing his old self of Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. Which is one of those things that I just, I accept it. Like, I could be really persnickety and like, no, this doesn't make any sense. But like, whatever. <laughs> I love those movies. I'll, I'll accept their explanation. Yeah. So then they play the message and they get the full message because before it was just a little bit where they heard Obi-Wan's name. And she's talking about him serving her father years ago in the Clone Wars, and she wants him to come to Alderaan. They need his help. And R2 contains some vital information that they need on Alderaan that will help them in the battle against the Empire. So Obi-Wan wants Luke to come with him to Alderaan. And I think at this point, Luke wants to go, but he doesn't feel like he can. Mm-hmm. and he wants to learn about the Force and become a Jedi, and they end up just going back to his place. And somewhere in here you get this scene, because some of this is cutting back and forth between scenes with Vader, and you're introduced to Grand Moff Tarkin, who is another big bad. And I think at this point, I think they were kind of thinking that he would be like the guy in charge. Like I'm not even sure that they had thought up of the emperor at this point because the emperor i don't think is mentioned at all in this movie and Mm -hmm. vader seems to answer to tarkin at least for now so i'm not sure exactly what their thought process was for this but 
anyway, you're introduced to Tarkin somewhere in here and all these other empire officials that they're, they're just kind of sitting, sitting around bickering and kind of dismissing Vader as being this practitioner of some old religion. Yeah, I like kind of just talking a bit about Tarkin. I, I like him as a character. I thought he was really interesting how he was um, kind of the only person that Vader really listened to and answered to. So even though he wasn't a very long, um, I thought he was pretty cool. And they, we get to see him like in his younger days in the Clone Wars. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I, I like him as a character and I'm glad they do more with him later on in prequel media. Mm-hmm. And then we got that little snippet of him in Rogue One as well. Yes, which everybody always complains about because it looks terrible, but I didn't think it looked that bad. No, I, I don't think that's that bad. Also, like, I mean, that's hard. It's, you know, yeah. trying to recreate a person's face like that. I mean, technology has its limits, and, you know, we're still trying to figure things out, so mm-hmm. can't be too hard on it. Yeah, no, I thought it was fine. It didn't look perfect, but uh, I didn't care. Yeah, me neither. So then you have Obi-Wan and Luke nearing the farm, and they find the sand crawler that sold the droids, surrounded by dead Jawas. And they figure out that the Empire is searching for the droids, and Luke rushes home and finds that his aunt and uncle have been roasted. (laughs) Yes. And I think... I, I can't remember for sure, but I think at the time that I saw this, that was probably one of the most horrifying scenes that I'd ever seen in movies. Because, like, we weren't allowed to watch a whole lot of stuff like this growing up. So this is probably one of the most violent movies that I'd seen at that point. So that was mm-hmm. probably, like, one of the most disturbing scenes I'd seen as a kid. These two roasted skeletons of these characters that we'd gotten to know. And now they're... <laughs> kind of smoking and meaty looking. It was kind of kind of yeah. gross, but it doesn't bother me now. But I, I feel like it was like, whoa, when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was pretty intense, um, you know, especially for like a, you know, a younger audience. It just kind of came out of nowhere. So yeah, it was definitely a, a bit of a shock. Mm-hmm. So Luke goes back to Obi-Wan Kenobi and basically says that there's nothing for him on Tatooine now. He's going to come with them. He wants to go to Alderaan. He's going to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like his father. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said, we're cutting back and forth. Somewhere in here, we're talking, we see Leia being tortured for the location of the rebel base. We don't actually see the torture happening. We just know mm-hmm. that's what's going on. They want to know where she's been hiding, where her allies are, and she's not telling yeah, we get the the, uh, the probe droid. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was kind of a slightly little scary thing too. This droid with the big old needle, mm-hmm. um, like the truth serum or whatever it was. Yeah, that was a frightening little droid. Yeah. So then, this is where we get the big creature that we were talking about earlier. We're going into Moss Eisley, which is kind of one of the main hubs in that part of the planet. And we get the iconic line, you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Yes. <laughs> and this is where, like, the, the giant creature, they've added in a bunch of things that weren't in the original version. It would be really interesting to see the movie, how it was. But I, there's a lot of little extra CGI bits 
thrown in here with the little fighting droids and the creatures running around. And like, since this is the version that I grew up with, I don't care. I like the creatures. I know yeah. there's a lot of purists who don't, and they think the additions are horrible, but I like them. Yeah. They're, it's I guess it also kind of ties back to like the nostalgia of like, oh, the CGI is bad. You know, like <laughs> it's, just, it's part of the charm. Yeah, like I can forgive bad CGI if the story is good and the story is good, so. Yeah, definitely. And then of course you have another iconic scene where they're getting up to where they need to be and they're being interrogated by the stormtroopers and he uses his Jedi mind powers and says, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Iconic line. Then they get inside the cantina where they're going to try and find somebody that can fly them to Alderaan and you get a ton of creatures a ton of species in here a ton of really weird looking aliens Uh, that's another thing that I really like about Star Wars is how weird the aliens are and some of them have gone on to become like semi-iconic species especially in like Clone Wars and Rebels like they'll get like actual characters for like a full episode that are these species that were first introduced in the scene like the i don't know what they're called the hammerhead things i think there was an episode in rebels where there's like a little baby version (laughs) that they're having to take care of yeah 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 i forgot about that yeah so i i just i love the creativity in scenes like this like it doesn't really add anything to the story it just adds to the atmosphere it adds to the universe as a whole Right. And it really became such an iconic thing because then even in, you know, The Force Awakens, there was um, yeah, the yeah. little cantina bar, whatever you want to call it, of um, Maz Kanata's. And so, um, yeah, so it, it was kind of trying to recreate the feel of the most isolated cantina. So it's just interesting that that was such a big thing that it was important enough to kind of bring into the sequels. And even also if we're talking about like the Disney parks, there's a cantina there, Oga's Cantina, that um, I was fortunate enough to see, and it was so cool. I mean, it was really like you stepped into it. It was mm-hmm. uh, in the world of Star Wars, and it was super detailed. So it's just really cool how just that one most icy cantina has kind of become a bigger thing in the Star Wars universe and recreated in several different ways. Yeah, and another thing that I just love about the cantina and like Moscano's castle and not that I've been there, but the Star Wars world is the music. Like the music is so different than the soundtrack to Star Wars. It's Mm -hmm. weird and alien. And I just love it so much. Like the the Cantina band has, is basically iconic at this point. It's like, that's just as iconic as the Star Wars itself, I would say. But I just love how weird and different the music is in scenes like this. And I love that they've given it that detail because a lot of other science fiction movies the music i don't know that they even put in like in world in universe music some do of course but like most of it is like the music is all the soundtrack to the film itself it's basically just kind of generic score music i guess but i love given this world its own genre maybe even genres of music that just sounds so unique and cool. And I really love that in the scene. Yeah, yeah. Music's definitely a big part of the whole world and it's definitely adds to the atmosphere and it's just really, really incredible. 
Mm -hmm. Another interesting little detail from this scene is that the bartender says, we don't serve their kind here, talking about the droids, and he makes the droids go outside. And I don't know if, I don't know what the thinking was behind that. I don't know if it was supposed to be like a racism metaphor or what. I don't know if it's something we're even supposed to think that deeply about, but like there's no droids allowed in the bar for some reason. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's some kind of illusion like that or if it's just the fact that droids can't eat or drink. <laughs> so there's just no reason for them to be there. Yeah, it could be. I, I feel like I've read some sort of explanation about like, maybe anti-droid bias after the Clone Wars because of mm. the devastation wreaked on all the worlds by the the pre-Stormtrooper troops of the right. all the battle droids and all the different droids that were employed. Right, right. I could see that. That makes sense. And then we even saw, like, you know, in The Mandalorian, you know, Mando himself, like, very much yeah. does not like droids and trust droids. So, yeah, that could be it. That's that's true. That could that could be their in-universe explanation for that, and it would make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. I guess one thing I didn't talk about, even though it didn't play a huge part in the scene, it was still an iconic moment back at Obi Wan's house when he gives Luke his father's lightsaber. Which that's now like lightsabers in Star Wars. That's like the one of the main things that everybody knows from Star Wars is the lightsabers, even if they don't know the characters' names. You see a, a lightsaber, that's a Star Wars thing. Like, you can't mistake it for some other sci-fi property. That's a Star Wars thing. Yeah, exactly. Actually, my uh, my roommate hasn't seen Star Wars, and she's like, I really want to watch Star Wars so then I can get a lightsaber. Because <laughs> I feel like I can't get one until I see Star Wars. And I'm like, oh, don't you worry. I'll watch it with you. We'll, we'll show you Star Wars. Um, but yeah, it's definitely an iconic thing. Yeah, I really want to get a lightsaber that's like a prop lightsaber, like an actual, not a toy. Like I have a toy and it's not even one I got as a kid. I got it a few years ago for my my brother and sister-in-law's wedding because I was one of the groomsmen. Like all the brothers were groomsmen because there's five brothers. So we had four pairs of bridesmaids and groomsmen. So when we went into the reception, everybody was had to come up with something different to do for the entrance and mm-hmm. for me and my bridesmaid partner we got lightsabers and we had a, a duel as we entered the reception that's amazing <laughs> yeah i had kylo ren's lightsaber with the two spikes on the side yes i love that that's so cool anyways back to where we were in the story at the cantina this is where we meet chewbacca and han solo And we have, at first, Obi-Wan talking to Chewbacca. And they didn't really introduce him as somebody that Obi-Wan already knew. But I found it interesting that we know that Obi-Wan, I'm pretty sure Obi-Wan already knows Chewbacca, because Chewbacca was in Revenge of the Sith. But now that I'm thinking about it, I don't remember who was on Kashyyyk in that scene. I know Yoda was. I can't remember if Obi-Wan was or not. He may not have been. Either way, I found it interesting that the way they filmed the scene, there's nothing that can contradict that they didn't know each other beforehand. Like, because he was introduced just kind of off to the side talking with Obi-Wan while Luke was getting into a scuffle with these other no good characters. And then later, Obi-Wan says 
something like Chewbacca here can take us to somebody who can who has a ship, something like that. So they didn't. It wasn't written in such a way that it is impossible for them to have known each other beforehand. And I never really thought about it before, but watching it, watching it just now or the other night, that kind of struck me as interesting because there's so many things that now seemingly contradict the prequels, and but that isn't one of them. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. But then you also have the scene with Luke getting into a scuffle. <laughs> he's he's about to be attacked, and Obi Wan comes to his rescue with the lightsaber, and you have the first chopped off arm of the series, which for some reason that becomes a thing in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. And there's even kind of, there's a little bit of like an inconsistency with the chopping of limbs because like when Obi-Wan cuts off that creature's arm, there's a bunch of blood everywhere, but everywhere else in the media, it's, um, you know, it doesn't draw blood. So I, that's just that stuck out to me and that I always thought was interesting. The, the thing that I thought was interesting watching it now is that the arm, and we don't know what species, well, I mean, somebody probably does. It's probably cataloged somewhere, what species the <laughs> character is and what their biology is like. But like the arm looked like it was hollow. So maybe mm-hmm. this creature, whatever he was that lost an arm, he's basically just like a shell full of blood. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure. But one thing that I thought was amusing was that when the arm is chopped off, the music goes dead. And like, (laughs) and then it starts up again. (laughs) Yeah, they just move on. I'm sure they see crazy things like that all the time. Well, probably. Like he said, it was a wretched hive of scum and villainy. (laughs) Yep. So then we're introduced to Han Solo, who is bragging about his ship, the Millennium Falcon, and... He talks about it being the ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. Mm-hmm. Now we can actually watch. If we see the movie solo, we can see what he's talking about. Yes. Another thing that people feel, I, I feel like people were complaining about like, we didn't need to see that, but like, I'm glad they did that. I thought it was really cool. I love that scene. Yeah. And why not? You know, it worked with the, with the story, you know, the story and what they were going for. So why not? Yeah. I like that they can fill in those details in other media. Mm-hmm. So they make a deal with Han Solo just as the stormtroopers start coming in and they leave quickly. And there's some line about Luke saying he needs to sell his speeder, which I don't think I ever noticed before, but it's kind of an interesting little detail that they thought about. Like he had the speeder that they came in with and they're going to sell it. Yeah. And then you have another iconic scene, one that is still being debated to this day, Han and Greedo, another iconic creature. Greedo mm-hmm. is a Rodian. Yes. And this particular Rodian is a bounty hunter, and Han has a bounty put on his head by Jabba the Hutt. And I don't think that in the original version, there is a scene in this version with Jabba, and now that's like the standard version. I think in the original version, if I remember right, that scene was completely cut. Like they didn't have Jabba the Hutt. He was only mentioned by Greedo. And he was originally going to be a human because the scene that they filmed had a human. Because they, they did film this scene, but they cut it for time because all the info that was in that scene was dispensed somewhere else. And 
I don't know, that's kind of an interesting little thing that they've decided to change, that now it's part of the movie, like, you and I have not seen a version without it. Right. So, I don't know, that was interesting. But that's not the controversial part. The controversial part is how this scene plays out, in that, who shot first? (laughs) Because in the original version, I don't think Greedo even shot at all. Like, Mm -hmm. he, he was preparing to take Han in, and he was just killed by Han Solo. Like Han knew that this was not going to go his way. So he just shot him. And I think I read that George Lucas regretted that because he felt like it made Han too bad of a character, but Mm -hmm. Han Solo, he goes through a lot of character growth throughout this movie. And I feel like I wouldn't mind it if he killed Greedo just, yeah, in this, in the version that we know now, it's self-defense because Greedo is going to shoot him, and he shoots like a millisecond before Han does. And I don't think I would care too much because that's kind of the point of his character is like he's this kind of rough, semi-low-life guy who becomes by the end of the movie a standout character. Like he comes in and rescues them at the end. So I don't think it would be that big a deal to have him kill Greedo. Like, I, I'm not one that's going to be like, this is horrible, they changed the movie, it should have been him killing him, whatever. Like, I don't care that they changed it. I just, uh, I could go either way. I don't really, it doesn't bother me. It's just one of those interesting things that people can get up in arms about. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, it never bothered me either. And I, I agree that, like, you know, he goes from being this, um, and that just that kind of adds to his character development of kind of, you know, shooting this guy without much thought into being this rebellion hero, you know? Mm -hmm. And one other now controversial part to this scene is that, (laughs) this is so dumb. Uh, The the controversy is dumb and the line is dumb, and, but it's not dumb in that it ruins the movie. It's just dumb that, I don't know. Before Greedo shoots, he says, McClunky, which yeah. apparently means something. It's in Hatties. I think that's the language. It, it means something. I don't remember what it means. I don't think I would have even noticed the edition because that's not in any of the versions that have been released on VHS or DVD. This was a new edition that another thing that George Lucas had tweaked right before he sold Star Wars to Disney. So his version that ended up getting uploaded to Disney Plus had the word McClunky in it as Greedo shot. Yeah. I think I remember seeing that on Twitter, like McClunky trending on Twitter. And I was like, what is that? Yeah. It is kind of a dumb word, but Mm -hmm. if it had not become a thing, I would have watched this version and not thought anything of it. (laughs) Like... It, it just blends into the language that Greedo is already speaking. It would not have made an impression one way or the other on me. I would not have noticed the change had it not become a thing for people to complain about on Twitter. Right. Yeah, no, me neither. But that, that's why I say it's, it's just dumb. <laughs> like, it's kind of dumb that he felt like he needed to add this word. But it, <laughs> I think it's even more dumb that people are mad about it. <laughs> Yeah, it is definitely a, a silly thing. There's there's so many weird words in the different languages in Star Wars. Like, 
poodoo like that's a thing from yeah especially. yeah like it's I, th I think it means fodder but like people think it's funny because it sounds like poo mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, it's just it's just another dumb thing for people to get upset about i don't know right it right to me. <laughs> yeah it, yeah it really doesn't matter it's just something funny to you know poke a little harmless fun at <laughs> mm -hmm. so then after this this is the scene with java and i remember watching in the behind the scenes stuff how they fixed the scene because the way they shot the scene was with the human who was supposed to be java the hut before they decided that huts were this big slug creature and han walks around jabba and when jabba was a human that didn't make any difference but like if they're going to add this scene back in now knowing that jabba the hut is this giant slug that scene doesn't work so i remember them having to take the scene and carefully using cgi move han so that he steps on Java's tail. Like they move his character up a bit, even though it wasn't shot that way, they move him up. So he's stepping on Java and stepping over him. And then they have Java reacting with this little screech or squeak or whatever, as he's yeah. being stepped on, <laughs> which is another thing people complain about, but <laughs> I've never seen it any other way, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've never seen it any other way either. Yeah. So it's just one of those things that it's now an interesting little detail that I find more interesting knowing the behind the scenes stuff than I do like actually in the movie, like watching the movie. It doesn't, doesn't bother me either way, but I, I find yeah. more entertainment value in knowing how the scene came to be than it happens in the movie. Mm -hmm. For sure. Somewhere in here too, we're cutting back to Leia torture is not working on her so Tarkin suggests an alternate form of persuasion so they're heading to Alderaan now too mm -hmm. and then Luke and Obi-Wan are trying to get back to the Millennium Falcon but they're being tailed by this other alien creature I don't know that it has a name it probably does I'm sure it does but it's one of those things like if this were any other serious sci-fi movie this thing would not exist. It looks like a cross between a mosquito and an elephant, and it talks with a buzzing, squeaky voice. <laughs> it's funny to me, but it's supposed to be serious because he's like ratting them out to the stormtroopers. But it's just such a ridiculous little alien, and I kind of love that it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too, me too. So the stormtroopers now head to the spaceport, and they get there just as they're like boarding there there's kind of a little battle and they escape and they're followed into space they're almost caught until they jump to light speed and then you're back to Tarkin Vader and Leia they're talking about trying to find get the information of the rebel base out of her and he's now threatening her planet Alderaan and she tells them reluctantly that it's on there the base is on Dantooine and they end up blowing up Alderaan anyway mm -hmm. and at this point it cuts back to them on the Millennium Falcon and then you have another iconic line from Obi-Wan as he feels Alderaan exploding 
And yeah. he says, I felt a great disturbance in the force as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. Yeah, that was a good line. And then you have Luke learning how to use his lightsaber with the little training droid thing and Chewie and C-3PO playing uh, this game. I, I looked it up to make sure I knew the name. It's called Dejeric, but it's also called Hollow Chess. And it's another now iconic Star Wars thing where it's these little, they're, they're like stop motion animation creatures that they're on this sort of chessboard thing and they're battling. And I have no idea how they're playing the game or how they're controlling it. But it's basically now an iconic Star Wars thing because you see it more than once in different Star Wars things. It's just a really cool little thing that it would be interesting if somebody could make a real world version of it. Yeah, definitely. That would be, I think a lot of people would jump at the opportunity to, okay. to get that. That and um, I think it's called Sabacc, the card game that we see in Solo. Yeah, that I think they do have a real world version of it. The only thing oh. is, I, I don't know the full story, but I remember seeing it in a store, but it's not called Sabak in real life because the name Sabak is owned by a different company for a different thing. So Disney and Lucasfilm are not allowed to use the name on products. So they call uh -huh. it like the Star Wars game or something like that when they're selling uh -huh. it, even though it is still the same game that's played in the movie. Uh, it's one of those interesting little things. Yeah, that is very interesting. So then you have Obi-Wan teaching Luke to use the Force to see without seeing. He puts on the helmet and he's able to more easily battle this little droid thing when he can't see it. And there's Han talking about the hokey religion. Mm -hmm. So the Force is known sort of by people, but they think of it as this religion that not everybody practices. Yeah, and the knowledge definitely varies. Um, mm -hmm. Like kind of as I was talking about earlier with them, like Mando not knowing anything about the Force. Mm -hmm. And then they get to Alderaan or what's left of it because they talk about they're in some uncharted asteroid field they don't know where it is but they thought they were ending up at alderaan and then you get them spotting the death star and you get the line that's no moon it's a space station mm -hmm. and <laughs> another iconic line that i realized it was said twice in this movie although slightly different at this at this point luke says i've got a very bad feeling about this <laughs> And that's yeah. gone on to be another thing weirdly repeated in most Star Wars things. I've got a bad feeling about this. I'm not sure why, like the same with the like arms being chopped off. I don't know why that's now a thing that has to happen just about every time. But it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just the, the obscure little things that kind of become a re reoccurring thing, like the arms and saying I have a bad feeling about this and in, in some ways, kind of what I was saying earlier about like the cantinas kind of coming up in like with most Eisley and then in the sequels and then in Disney World. It's just kind of funny the things that kind of catch on and become kind of this, you know, niche little part of this, you know, whole universe and its fandom. Mm -hmm. And then they're eventually pulled into the space station. They're caught in a tractor beam. 
in here as well, you have talking to Tarkin about Dantooine, the the rebel base that she mentioned. She was kind of trying to throw them off, so she wasn't actually giving up the rebel base when she said on Dantooine, because he says it's been deserted for a long time. And he wants to kill her at this point, but this is where they captured the Millennium Falcon with tractor beam, and they think that it's connected to her somehow, so they decide to keep her alive for now. And the whole crew of the Millennium Falcon are all hiding in Han's little secret passages, like because he's a smuggler, so they hide under the floor. And I'm not sure why nobody could find it. Like they searched the ship, and you'd think they'd have some sort of a scanner that could, like, I don't know, X-ray see where they are, or like detect life forms or something. Yeah, you'd you'd think, but maybe he's got them fortified against that kind of scanning. I don't know. But they search, like, a surface-level search. And then I think they're going to do, like, a deeper search. So they get off the ship at that point, And they're looking through the space station. And you have another iconic line from Obi-Wan. I sense something. A presence I've not felt since. And he trails off. Yeah. So then when the stormtroopers come back to do this thorough search... They knock them out or kill them. I'm not sure exactly what, what they do. Probably kill them. I don't know. But they steal their armor. So now they're in disguise as stormtroopers. And R2 plugs into the space station. They're trying to figure out how to get off at this point. I don't think they realize that Leia is there. Yeah. And they're just trying to figure out how to turn off the tractor beam that sucked them in. And they figure that it's being powered by the main reactor, Obi-Wan decides that he's going to be the one to go shut it off or whatever. Like he's going to follow the direction to get where they need to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if at, at this point that he knows he's not making it out, but like at some point you get the feeling that he knows that he's not going to leave the Death Star. Right. But also R2, when he's, scanning being plugged in here he says that he's found princess leia and luke and han decide they're going to go rescue her han doesn't want to go at first but luke convinces him to go by saying that she's rich and she'll probably reward them Mm -hmm. (laughs) so chewbacca acts as their prisoner they're dressed up like stormtroopers they take him in and there's a little cute scene with a little mouse droid here too (laughs) yeah a little mouse droid (laughs) I, I want a mouse droid. Like they need to make like a little mouse droid that you can just turn on and it'll kind of skitter around your room. Yeah, that'd be really cute. So they go in, Chewbacca acts like he's escaping, and then they shoot up the place and get rid of the guards. There's the scene with Han trying to ensure <laughs> that everything's fine, like he's talking over the intercom to the people wondering what's going on. And he, he's doing I, I'm wondering if this scene was even scripted because it sounds like he's really trying to struggle to come up with something to say here. So I'm wondering right. how much of this is actually him saying something off the cuff, like coming up with it as he's going. Right. Which is kind of, you know, kind of known as being like a bit of a smooth talker, you know, like he's the scoundrel, but then he just completely like flounders and he's saying, no, we're fine. How are you? That scene is so funny to me. Yeah. And then he shoots it. Yeah. 
And then Luke goes into the prison cell. Uh, you get another iconic line from Leia. Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Yeah. And then you have Vader and Tarkin talking again. And they're talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi being there. And Tarkin thinks it's impossible. But then they get an alert about a disturbance in Leia's cell block. And I think he says something about, like, he knows that he's going to be facing Obi-Wan. He knows that he's not planning on leaving. And Mm -hmm. basically, he knows that there's going to be a showdown at this point. Yeah, yeah. So they're trying to escape with Leia. It, It goes wrong. They're attacked. And they have to escape by jumping into the garbage chute. And this is another hugely iconic scene them in the garbage chute getting attacked by something that i don't think was ever named but like i said i was a huge creature nerd so i know mm-hmm. that this thing is called a dianoga which i love yeah. the term. and you never see the full thing you just see like the eye peeking out of the water and the tentacles attacking luke and i i, I love the scene just i love the creatures and i love the name the dianoga and yeah. i hope I hope that we get to see another Dianoga someday. I would love to see like a full movie scene like underwater with the full Dianoga. I think that there's a, at, at Disney World um, on Star Tours, there's a version of it that takes you to um, like the wreckage of the Death Star from the Rise of Skywalker. It's a, I believe a Dianoga like comes up to the ship and you know, you kind of are like halfway a bit under the water and you know, it's got all its tentacles and it like takes hold of your, you know, your Star Tours ship. It's pretty cool. So is the Dianoga like alive in space? It was like you um, on Star Tours, like you just kind of like almost like crash down onto different planets. So it's on that um, that water where there's like the wreckage from the Death Star. And so it's like- Oh, like from Rise of Skywalker? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. It makes an appearance in that part of the, if you get that route on Star Tours- yeah, I never would have really even thought about that. I know ne- it never really occurred to me that the Dianoga could have potentially died in the explosion. Like I didn't even connect the two. Like, but like that's that's really cool that he's survived somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, they escape from the Dianoga, but it's because they've activated the garbage mashers, I believe they call them, and they're they're about to be crushed. So Luke is trying to contact C-3PO and he's not coming in on the comms right away. And he finally gets back in and he's screaming, shut down the garbage mashers on the detention level. And it's like a last minute thing. It's they finally get it shut off and they're because they're about to die. And then they start cheering. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that C-3PO interprets their cheers as dying screams. He's like, they're dying, R2. I wasn't fast enough. (laughs) Yes, that's such a good moment. That was really funny. So Obi-Wan gets the power shut down so they can escape at this point. Luke and Leia are separated from Han and Chewie. They're in two different parts of the space station. They're both having their own encounters with stormtroopers trying to get back to the ship. This is where Darth Vader finds Obi-Wan Kenobi and have their lightsaber battle. Of course, another iconic line, strike me down and I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. 
And at this point, everybody's kind of coming back together and they see each other. The lightsaber battle seems to distract the stormtroopers, which is kind of amusing. And they, they all make a break for the ship. But Obi-Wan and Luke kind of look at each other briefly. And then he puts his lightsaber up and just lets Vader kill him. And you get the scene of his robe dropping to the floor while Luke is screaming, no! Mm-hmm. And then his now disembodied voice, run, Luke, run. Yeah, yeah, that was a really good moment. So they narrowly escape from the Death Star, and Tarkin reveals that they've put a tracking beacon on their ship. So the, they're now following them to the rebel base. And then as they're traveling to the rebel base, you have a now weird scene where Luke and Han are discussing Leia. And you can tell that they both yeah. like her. <laughs> and it's now weird, mm-hmm. of course, because we know that Luke and Leia are siblings. Right. And I had forgotten, though, too, that there's a couple of scenes where she kisses Luke. It's not as cringy as the, like, full-on lip kiss in the next movie, but, like, it's on the cheek. So it's not as weird now. But I'd forgotten right. that that happened in this movie, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they get to the base, which is on Yavin 4, which is a moon of the planet Yavin. R2's smuggled data is analyzed to discover that it's the plans for this Death Star as it is now approaching them. And Luke meets his friend Biggs, who I think he was mentioned at the beginning, but you never met him. Just right. a name that he mentioned as somebody who'd gone off to Academy. And they're all discussing the weaknesses of the Death Star. And they learn that only a precise hit in a specific place on the Death Star will be the only way that they can destroy it because it'll set off a chain reaction that will lead back inside and blow the thing up. Mm -hmm. So they're all planning to get out there and as soon as this thing is in range, they're going to attack it. And Han is leaving. He's talking about he needs to pay off his debt. So I think he's planning to go back to Tatooine to see Jabba. And Luke is trying to convince him to stay, but he won't. You can tell that Chewbacca doesn't really approve of this. So they leave. Everybody is getting on their ships because the Death Star is almost in range. And you have like scenes in, interspersed here with the Death Star. Like You can see their readout as they're like, coming around the planet, which I didn't remember that happening, and I'd forgotten that that was why everything was timed the way it was, but I thought that was interesting that they paid attention to that detail. So it's like both sides are preparing for battle as soon as they get around Yavin. Mm-hmm. So then you have another scene with Force Ghost Obi-Wan talking. The Force will be with you. I, I guess I'd forgotten that Obi-Wan says so much after he dies. Like, because I remember, like I, have, I, I hadn't seen these in years. So I, I remember more him coming back as the force ghost, like you see him on screen in the next two movies. But I'd forgotten that he speaks to him several times after he dies. Because then when in the middle of the battle, he says, Luke, trust your feelings as well. Mm-hmm. And then you get this whole long scene, of the battle, fighting, people dying. And you have the character that... <sighs> I'm not sure what they were going for. There's a character named Porkins 
And I think he's only there to be a fat joke. Probably, unfortunately. Yeah, it's just kind of weird watching it now. Yeah. So then you get the iconic trench run scene as they're approaching the specific port they need to hit. At this point, Tarkin is warned that they've figured out what they're doing and it could be a problem for them. But he thinks there's no problem. He refuses to evacuate. Uh, He thinks his analysts or whoever they are overestimating the rebels' chances. Right, yeah. He's, He's prideful. Yeah. So... They're also about around Yavin, and as soon as they're around the planet, they will have Yavin 4 in their sights, and they're going to blow up the planet. So now it's like extra important that they get this thing taken care of, because they're planning on blowing up the whole moon. Mm -hmm. So they're getting up there. I think that they might, somebody misses at some point, so it's like extra nail-biting. And then Luke is the one going in, and you have... Obi-Wan saying, use the force, Luke. Let go. Trust me. Mm -hmm. And he turns off his targeting computer. R2 is hit at this point, too, so he's not dead because he's a droid, but like he's out. Yeah. And they're charging the Death Star, and they're about to blow it up. And Vader also has Luke in his sights, so he's about to be shot. He says, I have you now. But then one of his ships that's flanking his side explodes and he goes what and i every time every time that scene happens the the way he says what (laughs) yes that was so good oh my gosh i don't know if that was supposed to be funny or not but just his tone what yeah (laughs) you can't help but just kind of snicker at it (laughs) and it turns out han is back he's the one who blew up the ship and now vader's ship is out of control because it was caught in the blast and he's like flying away he he no longer has luke in his sights luke fires and everybody flees and the death star blows up and you hear (laughs) obi-wan remember the force will be with you always yeah i love that That it's a really good scene or like you know that whole battle was good and but now that i'm thinking about it you know leia doesn't have much to do she's just kind of sitting in like the comms room and watching Mm -hmm. it all go down so that's one thing about with with, uh, the death star battle in uh return of the jedis i'm glad that she was you know on the ground and kind of you know part of the fight Mm -hmm. so back on the moon han is welcomed back and leia says i knew there was more to you than money Mm -hmm. you have they're offloading r2 and c3po is like distraught if any of your gears will help i'll gladly donate them (laughs) yeah his buddy he's worried about his buddy yeah i really like that line and then the final scene of the movie is the award ceremony. You have Luke and Han getting their medals. And this is now apparently controversial. I It didn't even cross my mind, but people are upset that Chewbacca doesn't get a medal. Yeah. And I, it never even crossed my mind as something that needed to have happened. But now I'm kind of wondering why. Like, it doesn't bother me. Like, whatever. But like... I wonder what their thinking was, or even if they were thinking, like, why did Han get a medal, but Chewbacca didn't? Because they were both flying the ship. Maybe it just because Han fired the shot that saved Luke so that Luke could fire the shot that blew up the Death Star. I don't know. Just something yeah. interesting to think about. Yeah, I'm not sure why he didn't get one. Yeah, I guess 
I think that they even tried to like rectify that in the last movie, like having him get a medal at some point. I need to rewatch it again, but I feel like they made that in response to the people who were saying like, Chewie needed a medal. Yeah, yeah. He deserves one. <laughs> and then the end credits, the theme again. I, I love the way the the end theme always they have the theme the like gently coming in over the whatever's happening and then it just crashes into the main theme yeah and over the credits i love that yeah that's always really good and that's it that's star wars that's the movie i really like this series like it's it's really hard to pick a favorite and i i know that this is for some people this is their favorite one of them because it's the first one i don't think it's my favorite i but i really love it because it's the first one it's the one that started everything i i love it as a part of a bigger story yeah definitely i think you know as i was kind of saying earlier there's just something nostalgic and special and exciting about the start of this grand adventure so that's why it's uh you know one of my favorites like i said i I bounce between a new hope and empire strikes back and force awakens but um Mm -hmm. yeah i really like i really love a new hope yeah it's really good it's just a fun sci-fi adventure it it doesn't try to be anything super deep it's just it's fun and i I don't mind things that try and go deep like I love all kinds of sci-fi, but I just like that this is just a fun space adventure. I just, I love it. Yeah, exactly. Me too. Because, you know, some, sometimes storytelling doesn't need to be super flashy or deep. You know, it's not that there's anything wrong with that, yeah. but sometimes it doesn't need to be, you know, some big metaphor for something or something deep. It can just be something just good old straightforward storytelling. You know, everybody loves just a, a good story and that's yeah. what Star Wars is. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's fun. I love it. And I know they get try and get deeper in other movies and try to do metaphors in other Star Wars movies, and that's fine. I don't mind that either. But I I just, I like that it's just a fun space adventure. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess that'll be all for this episode. I guess we'll be in touch about Empire Strikes Back. Alright, awesome. That sounds perfect. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Yeah, thanks for joining me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Disney Movie Marathon. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform or to our YouTube channel. Make sure to follow my co-hosts as well, and if you want more content from us, check out one of the other podcasts in the iHeartMovies podcast network, or check out my brand new Patreon. My link tree, as well as any other relevant links, will be in the description. We'll be back soon with another brand new episode, so thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.